Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Today we'll be looking at verse 14 specifically. I want to catch up many of our people who have not been here in the last several weeks. We have been going through the book of Nehemiah. And the book of Nehemiah is, is, is found in a time where uh, Israel had, had uh, uh, been invaded and, and God had allowed Jerusalem to be taken captive and taken to Babylon because God's people had not obeyed his words. And many years later, uh, the kings of uh, Babylon and Assyria would let, the, let God's people go a little bit at a time back to Israel and our book of Nehemiah begins with Nehemiah hearing all the way from the city of Susa that the walls around Jerusalem had been broken down or that they were still broken down, that they had not been repaired and that the city of Jerusalem was living in chaos and in fear. And so we examined the epic work that God began to start in Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah, his first reaction, his, his first response was to pray. And from that, we learn that we ought to be people of prayer. And I want you, students, even at this young age, I want you to be people of prayer. There's no one who can help you quite like Jesus. There's no one who cares for you and knows you quite like Jesus. And so, students, I want to beg you, when you go through trials, to be people of prayer. Well, Nehemiah waited upon the Lord. He waited for God to open up a, up, open up a door for him to, to serve. And, and he seized that opportunity. And after seizing that opportunity to come to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls, he evaluated the walls. He went out to see exactly what was wrong with the walls. And we, we took from that church a very biblical lesson that we are to be people who, by the Spirit, evaluate our, our lives and ask God to show us sin in our lives so that we don't live with this fake view of ourselves. After that, we looked at not only have we started this epic work, but we, we saw that God is wanting to do an epic work through us. That is our mini-series right now, doing an epic work. And we, we've learned many lessons so far. I mean, one of the first ones was it's time to get to work. And then last week, we, we saw that anytime you do God's work, students, adults, anytime you are obedient to do God's work and allow him to do his work through you, there will be opposition. There's going to be opposition regardless of, of, of how good of a person you feel that you are. And many times we become discouraged. But last week we learned that there will be opposition. But this week I want us to look at Nehemiah and how he responds to opposition. In the next two weeks we'll be looking at how to respond to opposition. And the title of my sermon today is Battle Cry. Battle Cry. I love wartime movies. I, I, I love wartime movies. Something about wartime movies uh, just explores every facet of human emotion. Fear, uh, drama, uh, uh, comedy, every, every emotion that you, can, that you can feel can be found in a, in a wartime movie. And, and when I begin to think about wartime movies in preparation uh, for this, this sermon, I begin to think about some of my favorite war speeches. 
Perhaps you remember Mel Gibson's famous speech in his 1995 hit, Braveheart. Mel Gibson in, uh, in this movie portrays the Scottish patriot William Wallace who leads the Scots to revolt against the English tyranny that had subjugated them for so long. And as they get ready on the battlefield, uh, they, they notice that the British army is just too much and they begin to leave. And William Wallace tells them to, no, stay and fight. He says, will you fight with me? And one of the, one of the Scots stands up and he says, no. We will run and we'll live. And to that, William Wallace says, I fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Oh man, if you, if you have seen that, well, you know the chill bumps just go all up and down your arms as you, as you hear those battle cries to rally and to fight, to, to fight the temptation to flee and to fight. I think, of, I think of Braveheart. I also think of the 1970 American biopic, Patton. In this movie, George C. Scott plays the wartime general uh, uh, George, uh, General Patton uh, shortly before World War II and as he's rallying the troops he stands, the movie opens up with him standing in front of this giant American flag and he is encouraging the men to not fear but to fight to make the most of this moment that had been given them I think of the 2017 war drama Darkest Hour in this movie, Winston Churchill passionately persuades the British to fight against the Nazi regime regardless of the cost. And in this movie, as he's persuading, many of the, many of the folks in parliament did not want to give in and they did not want to fight the Nazi regime. And he said, no, we will fight them. We will fight them in the air and we will fight them in this, on the sea and we will fight them in France and we will fight them on the beach and we will keep on fighting until there's nothing left and then we're gonna fight some more. Oh, it gives you chill bumps just thinking about it. But of all of these wartime speeches, I would think that none is as great and as effective and is as moving as the speech that Nehemiah gave in just one verse in Nehemiah chapter four. It's the greatest wartime speech ever found. You see, Sanballat and his armies of Samaria had gathered together and were ready to stop the rebuilding of the wall at Jerusalem. There was opposition from without. Nehemiah had just heard that, that the folks of Judah had come to them and said, hey, we're here, there's about to be war. Boys, come home. Let's hide. We don't have to fight this war. This is a useless war. Let's come back and, and hide in our homes and hide in our caves. Opposition from within. And, and Nehemiah stands up in Nehemiah chapter four in verse 14, and he says, and I looked and arose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Let's pray. Father, today 
I pray that as we meet together, you would speak through me. And what would be heard to your people is a call to action. To the students who are here today, to be a call to action. I pray that the uh, men and women who have served here for so long, the young boys and girls as they hear me, that your spirit would, would convict our hearts to rally together and to take on this opposition that comes against us. Bless us now as we continue to study your word, and I'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just like the citizens of Jerusalem were facing opposition from without and within, so all of us today who are doing God's will, who are, who are allowing God to work through us, we face opposition. And so the words that Nehemiah says here is very applicable to us today. Let's look at them closely together, and I want you to observe three things. Three things. Number one, Nehemiah says in chapter 4 and verse 14, he says, do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them. Why is it that so often Christians are known for their fears and for their anxieties Fear is a very real problem. When we face opposition, the first thing that we do in our hearts is fear. The effects are fear of fear are strange. Fear distorts reality. Nothing will rob you of presence of mind quite like fear will. If you're afraid, if you're afraid for your life, often you lose perspective. Now, I, I cannot stand scary movies. I, I I hate scary movies, I'll say that. I do not watch scary movies. The only person that I dated real seriously before Sarah one time said, hey Josh, will you take me to a scary movie? I said, I don't really do that. She said, please. I said, okay. And then like a week later, I wasn't sleeping because I was still scared of that <laughs> stupid movie. And I said, I'm sorry, we gotta break this off. Every time I see you, I see this little doll <laughs> and this just ain't working. But you know, probably there's nothing as realistic as scary movies. If you watch these movies, you'll see that the, the, the minute that there is fear introduced, the minute that there is something introduced that strikes fear into their hearts, they do something that's insane. And you say, don't walk off by yourself. That's completely, that's completely realistic. Because when fear comes into the heart of us, we do, we do silly things. We do stupid things. And so Nehemiah encourages, encourages the people of Jerusalem to not fear. And God commands us to not fear. I like the new song, Fear is a Liar. How many of you heard, have heard that song, Fear is a, is a Liar? I think it's by the Zach Williams band. He says in this song, when he told you, uh, when he told you you were troubled, you'll forever be alone. When he told you you should run away, you'll never find a home. When he told you you were dirty and you should be ashamed. When he told you you could be the one that grace could never change. And then he says this in the chorus, fear, he is a liar. He will take your breath, stop you in your steps. Fear, he is a liar. He will rob your rest, steal your happiness, cast your fear in the fire, because fear, he is a liar. Listen, Christians, so many times we give in to opposition. We tuck tail and run. We're weak, ineffectual Christians because the moment fear is introduced, we tuck tail and run. 
And we don't take the words of Nehemiah and indeed of the entire Bible to say, don't be afraid. Students, don't be afraid at school. Don't be afraid of going against the grain. Don't be afraid of living a life for Jesus when no one else will. And I say the same thing to everyone in here. Don't allow fear to control you. The scripture is clear. As a matter of fact, it's said that over 365 times throughout the Bible, God commands us to not be afraid. One time, at least one time for every day of the year. In one way or another, over 365 times, God affirms to us, he commands us, do not be afraid. Just two of those instances, Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. What's, what's causing fear in your life? Is it sharing the gospel with your neighbors? Is it making the right decisions at work when it may cost you? What's causing fear? Is it your relationship with your spouse? What is causing fear in your life? Listen, my friends, the Bible commands us, do not be afraid. It means that we don't run from fear, but we face it head on. Psalm 56, three through four reminds us, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Don't fear. Don't fear. Nehemiah commands us, God commands us as Christians to not be people who are dominated and enslaved by fear. Is it your fear that's keeping you from sharing the gospel? Is it your fear, students? Students, is it your fear of what everyone else will say about you that keeps you uh, saying the right words and not using language that you shouldn't or being sexually pure? Is it the fear of others around you? Don't be afraid of them. The next thing that he says to us to aid us in our endeavor to obey this command of not fearing, we have at our disposal a wonderful command and tool. Like a coin that has two sides, it's impossible for us to not fear without turning over the coin and seeing what Nehemiah says next. Nehemiah 4, again in 14, he says, do not be afraid of them. And then he says, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. His call to aid us in our fear is to remember the Lord. Uh, recently, within the last few months, our son has become really afraid at night. And by the way, I'm getting out as many stories as I can because he's just about to get to the point where I can't share these stories anymore. Daddy, don't do that. Uh, but he gets really afraid at night. And so I'll go in there and I'll pray with him and Sarah and I will talk about, buddy, think about what you, what you want to dream about. Remember God's in control. But one, one night, it just, I did everything I could and, and it just wasn't doing it. And I said, Bo, I said, I said, check this out. And I went up next to his bed and I flexed my muscles and he put his hand on my muscles and he said, whoa. <laughs> you heard it. Uh, my four-year-old Bo, four-year-old boy, thinks that I have big muscles. He said, Whoa. Those are big. I said, no one's gonna come in here and hurt you without going through me first. Uh, and anytime we're close, he, he's not afraid. He just wants to be close. Hey, listen, if you're facing fear in your life, fear of rejection, whatever fear it may be, remember the Lord. 
Remember the Lord. That's what his word is for. Oh, guys, I want to tell you, students at an early age, God's word is so important. You're going to be taught from the world that this word is not true, that it is not reliable, but this word is true. It is without error, and it has been given to us to remind us that what our God has said that he will do, he will do. You can remember, and I can know when I'm in the worst times of life that the same God who who parted the waters at the Red Sea, the same God who protected Israel, the same God who called Abraham is the same God who sent Jesus to die for me and has saved me and keeps me. Don't fear. Remember the Lord. Remember his work. Oftentimes in life, when I get discouraged, I'll think back to those times that God was working really heavily in my life. When you are tempted to fear, when opposition is at the gates and you're scared of what they can do to you, remember what God has done for you. I'm reminded of James Huey's song, When I Think About the Lord. You know that song? He says, when I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord and all these things, he continues to go on and on and on, but all these things that God has done, when he thinks about the Lord. Listen, if you're concentrated on the opposition, of course you're gonna fear, but think on the Lord. Students, remember the Lord. There's no situation that you're going through that he doesn't understand. There's no temptation, man, woman, boy, and girl in here today that you go through that he doesn't understand and can't give you the power to come through. Remember his word, remember his work, and then Nehemiah says, remember his deeds. He is great and awesome. He is great and awesome. Psalm 145 and verse three says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. There is no one in here worth living for, worth giving your life to, than Jesus. You're not worthy to live your life for yourself. I know I'm not, and I know some of you, and I know you're not, okay? He is, he's worthy, he is great. Everything he does is great and is good. He is powerful. When you look to the stars, he spoke them into existence. When you look at this earth and the, and the majesty, this week I was looking at some pictures of, of many years ago when, when I went skiing, and boy, I, I've only been once, but I love it and long to go back and go skiing again. I was looking at some pictures of, of those mountain ranges and just think God created all of it with just his voice. God is great. He is awesome, what he says next. Now, the thing about this word awesome is we've already seen this word once in this translation from the Hebrew. He is awesome. The root word has already been used in here, and that is yareh, which means to fear. He says, do not fear these men, but fear and respect and honor me. We are to be people who live our lives for the Lord. Who cares what the world can do to us? We ought to care about what God can do, what he will do. Matthew 10 and 28 says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul 
and body in hell. Students, men, women, boys and girls, fear the Lord. That means respect the Lord, honor him, live for him. We're to be those people who remember that he is great and he is worthy of our praise. Thirdly, Nehemiah tells us, he says, do not be afraid of them and remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then thirdly, he says, and fight. And fight. In my opinion, there is nothing as paralyzing to the church of today than weak, ineffectual Christians. Than Christians who are always tucking tail at running, at every temptation, at every struggle, at every opposition. People who are always waving the white flag, who are always giving up ground. There is, there is an epidemic in the Christian world of just completely giving up when the going gets tough. But Nehemiah says, fight! Fight! Stop giving in to everything. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing in this world more powerful outside of the Trinity than you. God has given you the power of his Holy Spirit to sanctify you and to change you. Why are you constantly making excuses? Why are you constantly giving ground that doesn't make any sense? You say the God of the universe lives and you dwells in you. Why are you constantly, why are we constantly giving ground? Fight, fight. We ought to be believers, men and women who are willing to fight for the cause of Christ. And next week, I will be a little more clear. On, on what that fighting entails. That doesn't mean physically, it doesn't mean pulling up your fist, it doesn't mean physical fights, but we are to be people who are strong warriors for the kingdom. Ephesians 6:12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. Students, that's you. You don't get a pass because you're not 18 yet. Hey, older folks who've retired, you don't get a pass because you've retired. We are still warriors. And we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're not wrestling them, but we're wrestling things that are in the heavenly places. Our battle is larger. Stop giving in fight. In 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19, Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, tells Timothy, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. And let me just quote one more passage from 1 Timothy in chapter six, in verses 11 and 12, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. We are to contend for the faith. Stop giving in all the time. We are to fight. You were saved to be a warrior. You were saved to be bold and to have great courage. 
Stories are written about these things. You're not someone who's just to be sitting on the sideline. We're to be those who fight. Then he tells us why. Not so much why as reasons why we should fight. He says, and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Friends, I got news for you. America kind of feels a sense of peace, but I want you to know if you are a born-again believer in here today, you are at war. And the enemy has lined up in position against you. He is lined up with all of the tools that he has in his chest. He has all of those lined up, all the forces of Satan and and his demons, all the forces of the world are gathered up against you and they don't stand a chance, but they keep winning. They want your families. They want your children. They want your grandchildren. They want your wives. They They want everything. We have to fight. I want to fight for my wife. I want to fight for my son and for my daughter so that Satan and the world doesn't influence them and take them under their grip. I want to fight, and I want you to fight with me. Because some things are worth fighting for. In 2000 and... I believe I got the phone call Sergeant Hall you have been called up to active duty you are being moved from the 77th Aviation Brigade into the 39th Infantry you're going to be placed in the 151 Cavalry out of Magnolia Arkansas and you're going to be deployed to Iraq the fear that gripped my heart was just unreal we began to train and train and train. And man, I was around some menly men. Men who did not seem to be scared of anything. But you know, there's a difference between talk when there's nothing going on and action when there is. And I found oftentimes there were a few people who when you would get outside of the forward operating base and you would get into the area that was known as the combat zone, there was a lot of fear. But in that time, we fought for one another. It didn't matter what your opinion was of private so-and-so or staff sergeant so-and-so. It didn't matter what your opinion was of that person because when we left the wire, when we left that base, we had one another's backs. And if the enemy was going to get to you, they had to get through me first. That's what, that was the, the thought process of every soldier on that field, every soldier in that, in that convoy. That was, the, that was the thought process. It was a sweet and wonderful atmosphere because of that, a, a camaraderie unlike I've ever experienced because regardless of what we felt uh, toward one another, we had one another's backs, and often that's not taking place in the church. Sad to say, that should be felt more in the church than in Iraq. That should be felt more in the church than whatever war zone you're in. We should fight for one another. If someone invaded your household, would you not stand up for your loved ones? Would you not fight for them? 
Would you not give everything you have? I'm looking right now. God is looking for men and women who are tired of the enemy having progress in this world and who are willing to stand up and who say, not today, not my children, not my wife, not my family, not my city, not my county, not this nation, not today. As long as I have breath in my lungs, as long as I have energy in my knees, until my dying breath, I'm going to fight. Why? Why? Because there are some things that are worth fighting for. And so he commands us, he says, don't fear. Remember the Lord and fight. Can I encourage you today? What's your struggle? What's your opposition? Is it in your marriage? Students, is it in the way other students look at you at school, what they're trying to get you to do? Peer pressure. Is it, is it at work? Is it in your attendance? Are you unfaithful in attending a local Bible-believing church? Stop giving in and fight. Fight that flesh. Remind your flesh that he's a dead man. He has no control over you. Fight. Now, I'm speaking today really to believers because if you're here today and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can fight with me. You can repent today of, of not having fought before. You can repent today of being lazy with regards to fighting you can ask the Lord to renew you and help you to be bold and be filled with the Spirit so that you might take on uh, the opposition that's been put in front of you. That's good. But perhaps you're here today and you have never repented of your sins. That means you have never turned from your sins and asked God for forgiveness. And you've never called upon Jesus, God's one and only Son, to be your Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you in these next few moments to make a decision that will be life-changing. A decision that will pull you out of the deathbed and put you onto a battlefield. I wanna encourage you to make a decision today. I wanna plead with you to make a decision today to give your life to Jesus, but perhaps there's another decision that needs to be made today. Maybe you've not been baptized on the right side of your salvation. Maybe you've not joined a church and you're looking to join a Bible-believing church. I can think of no better church in, in this area than First Baptist Church, West Memphis, and I want to encourage you to get plugged in. Maybe you're, maybe you're not serving. Whatever the decision is that God has laid upon your heart, I want to encourage you to make now during this time of response. Would you join me as we pray together? Father in heaven, I thank you so much uh, for this opportunity that you have given me to stand and to, Lord, I hope, proclaim your word and your goodness. Father, I hope that in these words, your spirit has convicted the hearts of your believers and drawn them closer to you. And Lord, I just want to give you this time of response and of invitation. Father, whatever decision needs to be made today, Lord, I pray that you would bind the enemy Father, from, from convincing students or from adults to not walk this aisle and talk to me or another counselor. Father, I pray that you would do a great work in here today and I'll give you and you alone all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for joining us for this episode of First Importance. You're invited to check out our other sermons on this channel and if you're in the West Memphis area, 
to join us for our Sunday worship at 1045 a.m.